Octavia's Parables. We are reading Parable of the Talents, the second book in the Parables Trilogy, um, and the last book published of the Parables Trilogy, Parable of the Talents. We read Parable of the Sower last season, and you can go back and listen to that entire season if you haven't yet. It'll definitely help you understand this one. (laughs) Um, I am Adrienne Marie Brown. I'm your co-host, and I'm here with... Toshi Regan. Yes, the one, the only, the God. Um, so, any announcements for our second episode? Any announcements? Anything we need to know? Um, well, I'm hoping my record will be out in March. My intent, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, just watch the IG page, and I'll, I'll be, I'll be doing some things. Okay, beautiful. We promise to watch. <laughs> um, <laughs> And if you missed it, last episode, we announced a couple of things. Um, The New Sons Literary Festival um, and the Confluence Octavia Butler Festival. Is that what it was called? It's um, the the Octavia E. Butler Conference. Okay, the Octavia E. Butler Conference. Um, Toshi did a full set there, which you can find and listen to. Um, And I have a keynote. Uh, that's out in the world with Ama Josephine Budge. So, yay. Yay. <laughs> lots and lots of Octavia content in every direction. Yeah, yeah. So let's drop ourselves into Chapter 2, Episode 2. Can you start us off? Yes. Chapter 2, From Earthsea, The Books of the Living. Chaos is God's most dangerous face. Amorphous, roiling, hungry shape. Shape chaos, shape God, act. Alter the speed or the direction of change. Vary the scope of change. Recombine the seeds of change. Transmute the impact of change. Seize change. Use it. Adapt and grow. Yes. Yeah, we're back with Ben Coley and Lauren's daughter. And she is on her journey of researching her her parents' life and especially her mother's life. And so she is recounting the original 13 settlers of of Acorn. And if you read Parable Mm -hmm. of the Sower, um, you're familiar with with all of them. Um, Mm -hmm. And and she names everyone, the the children, all of the the people who were there. And um, she also uh, is starting to give us a little window into life um, on Acorn and she's she says that um, every member of Earthseed um, learned to read and to write. And if you remember from Parable, a lot of the people in that original group didn't know how to read or write. Um, and they were, yeah, and they were learning. And then she also turned kind of everybody into teachers. Um, anybody who knew how to do something, knew a trade that they had to, they had to teach people. Um, and that basically children are so 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 un, uh, assaulted at this time children are um, the idea of children going to school mm-hmm. is not is not children are are you know taken they're neglected mm-hmm. they're turned into um, slaves and workers they're sold 
everything, everything bad. And, uh, and so she really is determined that people would be educated and learn a skill, um, learn how to do something. And uh, Lauren's daughter lets us know that her father had the most valuable skill of anyone, which is that he was a doctor. And that those were rare, 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 especially where they were. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so that actually, him being uh, a doctor, um, at first a lot of people in the area where they are were not trusting of, of a black man um, because there's not a lot of black folks up there and racism, my goodness, just just hanging in there for every situation. <laughs> but if, But eventually he could not be denied. Um, that people really had to accept when they needed help um, and when the when things were bad. Um, so she gives us that information and then she turns to uh, the journals of Lauren Oya Alamina and it is Monday, September 27th. And the year is 2032. And, and Lauren is feeling tight. You know, she's, she's I, don't, I don't know how to talk about this day. I don't know how to talk about today. And um, I remember that from some thing in, in Parable where she doesn't know what to yes. do. And she says, I have to write. I have to write. And um, yes. what she's really, you know, I'm feeling a lot about is basically that Jarrett is um, starting to seem appealing to some of the the people at Acorn. That, you know, Jarrett coming with his Make America Great Again and his really heavy, as she calls, religious nonsense um and some of the the people are thinking he might be he might not be so bad and uh you know what this reminded me of was um and Corey in parable when um olivar started and mm-hmm. Corey exactly. was like we sh- like, well. we should go to olivar like which one's worse <laughs> you know, like, so these you know everybody's in a state of exhaustion so you know that these people are just like, how do we get someplace where we can settle down and have something that we consider normal? Um, and because they haven't seen it in a long time. So they're they're kind of willing to look at this this person and they're looking for order and stability. And, um, and Lauren really understands it because everybody has lost a lot, but she doesn't think um, that's the way to go. So this conversation is happening at their, their anniversary gathering and it just kind of gives a, a, a tone of like something is about to happen. Something is shaking and she is, she's very disturbed by it. Um, so one of the things that they are, this group is scavengers. And so they have built Acorn up by, you know, buying some things, uh, by finding some things on the land by trading and bartering, but they also scavenge. They just go to places, abandoned properties, and they find seeds, they find, um, you know, whatever has been discarded that they can make use of. And so a group um, goes together, and there's two sharers in this group and two non-sharers, which Lauren tells us is very important to have a balance. And they are, you know, they're picking all kinds of things, um, they're getting uh, plants and they're looking for agave, which is a, a specific leaf that has mm-hmm. jagged edges and thorns. And they're looking for it because on their wall, they want to they want to place it inside of their wall, which they say yes. is is OK, but that people could get through it if they wanted to. And so they want to make it even yep. harder for people to get through. And they're just on this like abandoned 
land that there's a you know things have been burned down and while they're there they see like a, a car and yeah. what they call a ho- house car or house truck they call it a house truck yeah they see a house truck yeah. um do you have a vision for what that looks like in your mind <laughs> i do <laughs> what's your vision of the house <laughs> truck you know that to me the house truck is like one of these really massive you know, it's those big trucks with the like, you know, it's got a second, it's got a passenger row in the front bed and it's got a big open bed, but it's been covered over and fortified mm-hmm. um, so that people can, you know, the whole thing I imagine being sort of covered over and fortified so that people can drive it and maybe be shot at or other things and be okay and that you cannot see inside the back of it and possibly can't really see inside the front of it. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, you know, I love that. That's what I imagine. I love it. I'm going with it. So it's Lauren, um, uh, Michael, and um, Jorge Cho, who's also a sharer, and Natividad. Yep. And they're, you know, picking, <laughs> they're picking up the little things and putting them in their basket or their, their hand truck and moving along. And then they see the truck and then everything just gets crazy. They hear gunshot. They have to hide. When the gunshot uh, is done, Jorge takes a peek and then he sees that someone's shot so he's done he's on the ground yeah he's rolling around he's in, in terrible pain and lauren is 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 helping him and she's much better at um you know knowing when to look knowing when not to look and also yeah. she's really really good with like even though he's in pain she can feel it mildly but she she has done the work where she's like i'm not taking all of that in so she is she is good and yelling at him like what'd you look for but they know not to move from where they are because they can't get any place and they hear a child crying but they don't go towards it and then then the the conversation between the four of them about like what to do is amazing it's like it's you know (laughs) i just wrote strategy you know because they just they like talk amongst themselves like you know as a child but you know you know people use children now like so you can't just go and just trying to figure it out so they stay there until it gets dark and and then and i love this part i'm just love all the the specificness of how to be safe and how to save yourself in very unsafe situations and they there's this chimney and they want to get behind it so that they can kind of like make their way out of this situation so they succeed in that and they kind of are ready to go and then they hear a ba- hear a young child crying again and lauren's like i want to go see about the child and they're like yep. nah <laughs> lauren's like i want to see about the child and um I want to say Lauren is 23 years old at this time. So Lauren at 23 wants to go see about the child. And she finds the child and it's a six or seven year old girl. She's completely filthy. And she says beyond filthy. And she they they see that the truck door is open. And, um, and they look in and there's two people who have been shot. And there's another child who's asleep. And there's like... I think some dead people nearby or something. Yeah, I think there's two dead yeah. people in the field nearby. Yep, and so they're like, we're taking these children and we're taking this truck. And one of them knows how to yeah. drive. And it's a huge thing to them. Like, it's a huge thing yes. Um, yes. that they they get to have this truck. Um, that, that whole thing I just said and just like these a little bit of... Um, 
a few words is 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 almost the entire chapter it's yeah, it's, huge. it's huge and she goes into great detail about the plants and the specific plants that they're picking um she goes into great deal detail about everything like the you know there's more talking about um about sharing pain and um and then you and it's great conversation between them around what you know is a shared practice that they have like they they work together so much they are inside of a kind of rhythm that is life-saving it's 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 not that you know they have all these weapons and everything they do have some but it's the way that they are with each other it's the way they all knew to go someplace together it's the way they knew to hunker down it's the way they had the patience to wait until it got dark so they would have more opportunity um, it's, it's just, they have developed these practices, um, over time with each other, repetition, um, taking it seriously and they care, they care for children. Um, at least Lauren does. <laughs> so, um, this truck is a big deal. And, oh, yeah. and if you think <laughs> about the journey from, from Robledo, they have never had a vehicle. Like they have been walking. Exactly. They have been walking miles. They have never yes. been able to zoom up or down or back or anything of the highway. So this is this is such a, such a great thing. And um, Bangkok. Yeah, and to look at something that's being used weapon, you know, weaponized. Right? Yeah, because it's like they're trying to run over people, um, and they're like, okay, we'll wait it out, but we could use that. Yeah, <laughs> we can immediately see that that resource could be used for something else. Yeah, and the the truck is like mm-hmm. you know it's a truck of the time, so it's got like radar yeah. devices and it's 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 hooked up. They they are like yep. you know we don't know who these awful people were, but we we gonna get these children and we gonna try to save these other people, and then we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna take their yeah. truck. So um, yeah. it's it's very cool. Um, back at home. You know, Lauren mm-hmm. and Bancoli are basically, you know, cuddling. And Bancoli is like, what's, you know, kind of just trying to figure his wife out. Like, he's just like, you know, you you have seen children in chains being led. You know, like, you've seen the worst that can happen to children. Like, why were you so moved to go and help these these children, you know? Like he's, he's still, (laughs) bless his heart. He still doesn't get it sometimes. (laughs) She's, she is like, no, I mean, I, I like children. Like there's a baby crying. I'm going to try to do something. I'm going to get, I'm going to get them. Which is so funny. Cause like, he's the one in, in Parable of the Sower who saves one of the children. That's one of the ways they bond. You know I'm like? Yeah. Yeah. He still seems surprised. He seems surprised. I mean, they've all seen a lot. And the last, the last little bit of this chapter, which is, is pretty amazing, um, and I'm really feeling it, is Bancola being like, um, it's time for us to look at leaving. And yes. that, is, that is such a big thing. You know, Lauren is just getting started, but he's like, I went and looked at these towns nearby, and we could actually, like, have a house and be in a town, and a, a doctor would come in handy and like our yeah. life could be different and yes. lauren is like no you're not going anywhere you you mine and you staying here <laughs> uh, she is like no this is our place she says yeah. i don't care you belong here don't even think about going away um but he reminds her that he's getting older and yeah. that you know he might he might actually need to shift from this acorn life um which is 24/7 yeah. 
um, work, 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 work. And that's chapter yeah. two. And that he might die yes. eventually, too. You know, I think that that there's that longer term thinking. And there's a couple of lines in their dialogue with each other that stand out to me. Mm. One is like when he's initially because he's he's not pleased with her for getting the truck. <laughs> you know, he's like, that was brazen. That was like not the safest thing that you did there. Mm-hmm. And Lauren says, if I didn't love him, I might not like him much at times. Like, <laughs> yes. Which I think is like just essential relationship, you know, how to, right? It's just like there's these moments where you're like, I love you, and that's what's going to get us through this yeah. moment right now because we, we really disagree. And then there's a moment later where, you know, all the communities that he could go and be the doctor for are very white. And she says um, about the acorn community, we're, you name it, black, white, Latino, Asian, and any mixture at all. Yeah. The kind of thing you'd expect to find in a city. The kids we've adopted and the ones who have been born to us think of all the mixing and matching as normal. Yeah. Imagine that. And that piece feels so important to me for understanding um, what is the vision of ACORN and what is the vision of the society that mm-hmm. they're trying to create. It's like, what is literally the counter vision of the Christian America vision, the the way um, that white supremacy and racism and religion have braided themselves together into this you know, this uh, force that is really like choking the life out. That's right. Out of the nation. Yeah. So I just wanted to uplift those pieces because I, you know, when I read them, I was like, oh, that's fascinating. And I think really relevant for a lot of people right now. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, because that is, that is the victorious feeling that I feel inside my spirit is, is that that's it. And, you know, and, and it's, actively you know it's actively meeting the times and the time and some people um don't like it and are you know and are trying their best to to move against it you know and yes but i feel our i feel our movement is so relentless you know in terms of like where we know where we know where we're going um and especially i think when it comes to like our trans siblings who are out yes (laughs) here in the world and um and you know declaring like they're they're this is this is our place you know this is our place and also we will not you will not in some ways it's like you will not have a species and you will not have a safety that does not include us. that's right that's right you won't (laughs) you won't you never have yeah and you will not you will not you will not (laughs) it's time for all of us to get with that because that is just the truth yeah yeah. So I have mm, mad questions for this chapter. <laughs> um, so this chapter, I feel like it, it drops us really back into the way Lauren Alamina builds community. And we start to really get into like, what are some of the pragmatic thoughts, pragmatic questions, practical things that we need to be attending to when we're thinking about how we build a community, how we choose a space, who we trust, those things. Mm-hmm. So my questions are really picking up on some of the additional the deeper lessons that she's giving us here um the first is how many languages do you know (laughs) and by yourself how many languages do you know and how many languages are you in community with people knowing right um so i love the requirement that everyone has has to have at least two languages primarily english and spanish in the community um and i speak english and i've been 
taking my little Duolingo now. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I've got 412 days of practice or whatever it is. So, <laughs> you know, which doesn't mean I'm fluent in Spanish, but it does mean that I understand it much more than I did 412 days ago. Um, and, but I think about this often. It's like, I remember being on a boat once from Spain to Morocco. I was on this boat that looked like a cruise ship, but it was not. <laughs> it was not inside. Um, and it, everyone on the on the boat, I was in like a room with four other women, and none of them spoke. I think one of them spoke some English, and then there was like someone who spoke French and Spanish, and someone who spoke Spanish and something else, and then there were just languages I didn't know. And we were heading on to, into Morocco. We were heading into a- Africa, um, and they were just like, the, the languages between us, I, I think there were four or five things being spoken. We talked all night. Mm. We talked all night. Mm. But it was like this game of translating between mm-hmm. all these different languages that we spoke. And it was beautiful, but it also made me hunger for understanding more languages and being able to, to be more of that kind of citizen. And I'm reminded of that when I read this. Every time I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, like I need to really learn this. So... I want I want people to ask themselves that and just in your pod, in your community, in your group, right? What is the spread of languages that you actually know uh, fluently? Mm-hmm. Second question, have you mastered a trade that would be of use to a community post-internet? Mm-hmm. Um, particularly, are there any doctors or nurses or people who can really do emergency care in your close circle and in your neighbor circle? This, this question, the first time I read The Parable of the Talents, changed my trajectory of my life in some ways. Mm. Because, you know, I'm a philosopher at heart. Like, that's, I'm like, that's my job. <laughs> it's like, I just want to think thoughts. And this book made me like, yeah, bitch, but you also need to know how to do something, <laughs> like, real with bodies, just in case. Because you want to be able to make a case for yourself if the community is like, well, <laughs> we got to go and... We don't need Foucault. <laughs> we got to go. <laughs> we need like, what can you do? Um, and I really was like, I need to know something. So <laughs> now I know how to doula. I know how to cook. And I'm learning how to grow things, you know. There but you I'm go. like, I really want to be of use in some way. <laughs> so, I love you so much. Um, <laughs> thank you. Um, you know, and I think music counts as one of those necessary things. So I think you're good. But I was like, I need to be good. Mm. <laughs> so that's amazing yeah yeah my third question which i'd love i'd love to think about a little bit with you do you understand the motivations of people who turn to nation state who want to return to something even if it's unjust in the name of order Mm -hmm. and stability yeah 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 i mean i i think people navigate that a lot and um this is a real, will be really an interesting time, but I do. I think people want to have whatever they think is is predictable and normal is comforting, you know. Yes. And I, yes. and even as that gets smaller and smaller, they they're like almost it's like an island, and you know maybe you know first on your island you had your own you know there was your own house and it had running water and it had yeah. electricity and you had a job and maybe if you had a partner they had a job. And you both could do, and then like one of you loses a job, but you still have the house, and then you go to the, and then all right, well maybe we can't be in this house. We have to go move in with, you know, some parents, and then you know, like it, it, the the thing gets smaller yes. and smaller, 
and but people try to uphold it and you see that now i i feel uh-huh. um you know what happened across the south with the winter storm um is yes. a big like kick in in of the delusion of that it's like here texas is texas um not all the states but texas in particular is like we're texas and we don't need nobody and we don't want nobody and they republican um politicians are particularly vicious when it comes to other states that actually have emergencies and need support and mm-hmm. not only that but they're like we don't want to be a part of the, this other electrical grid we just gonna have our own and you know you you wonder like how people have said well we're gonna have that like that's that's yes. cool that we yes yeah. our own and then they have the predatory electricity which is like gauged on the market like <laughs> I don't even know what that means, you know, and it's not that yeah. all the electricity is cool because these grids are very vulnerable all over the country and our use of yeah. electricity is, you know, we all need to, to, to reckon with that. But the idea that what you what you decided to believe in was going to support and uphold you. And then when you find out here's a, a climate crisis emergency that yes. because these same people have been in denial of the climate crisis and that they are completely greedy like <laughs> just just yes. about themselves they never they never protected um the the electrical grid against uh, these storms they never winterized it which they could have done they could have spent the money they could have done it, they could have done it. that's right and so i guess in addition to that is why don't you ask for what you deserve because that's right and do you know what you deserve or are you That's just right. like living and until the catastrophe happens? And I just, I just That's think right. people can can make a lot of assumptions about where they are, and follow behind the same people that you're following behind are giving you this bad electricity, and then they're giving a predatory electricity, and then they're not winterizing the grid, and then they're also not supporting anybody else who's like like they're they they're mean and they're awful people, and you're like yes, but. I somehow feel secure with them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think this is what is, you know, possibly the the most brilliant strategy in the American experiment is the American dream. Mm-hmm. Um, and really making people think like, this dream is common, it's shared, we could all have access to it. It's about normal, being normal, yeah. being stable. And so that even though the majority of people in the country don't actually have access to That's it, right. um, the idea of the dream is so compelling and people are constantly trying to perform their own normalcy, their own stability, particularly for their kids, particularly in competition with each other, in relationship to each other. And, you know, I really think that if the dream was not there, like if that concept of America wasn't so prevalent, um, I think that we would have had a different level of uprising and revolution a long time ago mm. because people would have been like, uh, the way we're actually being treated, like these conditions are not livable. Right. This is not working for us. And so I think there would have been much more of a, an uprising. But because of the that combination of the dream and credit, yeah. <laughs> you know, and like yeah. ways that you can kind of stretch and stretch and pretend like the blanket covers your whole body yeah. um, when you're freezing and you're wet and you're miserable and your children are not safe is deep so i really think 
um, you know, even now, like we just went through these four years of the 45 administration and folks are like, okay, now that's behind us. And so as we're watching Biden come in and, you know, the immediate first moves are like not really upholding the promises that that he ran on. Um, But there's so many people are like, can we just have the normalcy, though? Can we just have the stability? Like, I don't even want to talk about those things. And just noticing like that, that the the sugary, sticky, sweet molasses functionality of the American dream that it's like we get stuck in it like flies yeah. and then we're like we're dying but we don't realize it because everything tastes still good still yeah you know? Lauren so, says in that yeah. chapter that peace um peace is dangerous um yes. she says it's dangerous because it just makes people complacent and um and she says that you know when the the um thing happened to the dove tree family when they got attacked you know everybody should have been like Okay, there's something exactly. happening, especially because it wasn't like a regular attack that they're they they've encountered. And I do, I yeah. I I also think you know I'm I I talked about last time like how is the media supporting these narratives? But it's almost like these stories get carried. The thing in Texas is going to get carried. Like you know this weird thing happened, and uh, all of these people suffered exactly. because of it. And not actually like really illuminate that it's um, a systemic taking advantage and endangering all the people of of that right. state. And you know, and I think that that happens a lot. If if we challenge, if we challenge these you know um, institutions to meet us where we need to be met, you know, we're in for a long time of being like the people in acorn like you're not you're not settling down to rest and be quiet yes. you're settling down to to be in right relationship with each other in the land that you're on yeah exactly exactly and i i really deeply believe i mean this is one of the main reasons i think i identify as an abolitionist because you know i i do think at a certain point you have to say well we have given you a very long time <laughs> to experiment with this and I keep uplifting you know Miriam Kaba and Rachel Herzig talk about this but you know that we've been in this long experiment of 250 years of well-funded carceral systems and we've been in this this American experiment of you know faux democracy with the electoral college and all of it we've we've done it yeah (laughs) it has not worked um and so at what point do you divest from that system um and even if it means there's going to be disorder, chaos, and instability. Um, and I think that this book is is really like, and how long? Yeah. <laughs> For how long will that last? Yeah. And we're just, we haven't even gotten into it yet. So um, thank you for engaging with me on that. I have a few more questions. So, you know, the book Im- immediately is letting us know how perilous the, the space and the time actually are. And Lauren is really still the strategic gatherer of her people and their resources. And so I want to ask our readers, our listeners to sit with, what do you make of Lauren's choices in this chapter? The choice to wait, the choice to get the truck, the choice to resist relocation um, with Bancole, like each of the choices she's making, do you understand strategically what's driving her here? Um, And where do you see yourself in relationship to her? Are you the Lauren in your community are you the bancole or you someone else another sharer mm. right a young sharer who doesn't yet know how to manage your powers yes other things like where are you 
Um, Lauren has learned to work with her sharing some. I really love that you pointed that out, that she's like, she knows where to look now. She knows how much attention to bring to it to keep herself safe. Mm -hmm. And um, the question it, it yielded for me was, how can you hone an apparent weakness into a strength mm. through the, the work of mastery? Ooh. Right? Um, because empathy is something we want to have, yes. <laughs> right? And so even though at first it's overwhelming, now she's learning to, to work with it yes. and and to even teach others how to work with it. So That's an empowering question. That question. Mm-hmm. I love that question. Mm-hmm. I got stronger just thinking about it. Yay. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Good. I like that. A um, couple more. Who do you trust to move through danger with? Mm. Who do you trust to move through danger with? And I want to be clear here. I don't just mean who do you trust to follow you? <laughs> who do you trust to like do what you want them to do during dangerous moments? But who do you actually trust? Uh, like you might have to listen to what their assessment is and do what they say. Yeah. Um, and then these these final questions are about Lauren and Bancoli's relationship and the conversations they're having towards the end of this chapter. Have you had to assess diversity as a key factor in determining where you would live? And would you choose whiteness with safety or diversity with risk? <laughs> right? Um, like, I know a lot of people who have had this very specific conversation. It feels so relevant. I love that Octavia knew it was relevant in the 90s. <laughs> and um, I think it's going to be relevant for quite some time that... Um, because it's not, it's not like you actually are safe. You know, it's like Bancole is still fighting against people's perception of him as a black man when he goes into these white That's places, right. but he perceives that it would still be safer for her, safer for them. And as and um, my mother yeah. did both, you know, cause we lived in a, a black community, but I was tearing it up at the public schools. I was fighting all the time and she was like, yeah. nope. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, you know, nope, you I get Burgundy Farm Country Day School, Sandy Springs Friends School, you know. She was just like, no, this, this is not going to work. And she saved my life. She saved my life. Go, Mom. Yes, thank you, Mom. <laughs> Go, Mom. Um, last question. How do you communicate at the intersection of love and fear? Hmm. How do you communicate at the intersection of love and fear? Bancole is almost always asking Lauren questions from his love of her, right? He's like, I love you so deeply. I'm so dedicated to your longevity, your brilliance, your safety. And Lauren is like, yeah, that's cool. (laughs) I'm trying to build this whole ass community and I have a destiny and stuff. And I also love you. Um, And I think there's so many relationships in I know that are like that, right? Where it's just like, I love you, um, but loving you is not my purpose. My purpose is this this other thing, yeah. and I want you to join me in the purpose. Mm. Um, and then you know, but but then for some people, like the person they love is their purpose. Yeah, yeah. And I do think what Bancole is doing, loving Lauren, is a purposeful love. Yeah. Um, um, do you ever feel that? juxtaposition yeah as a lover as a parent as a person yeah yeah and I I really think about it um you know again with my mom because my mom had her mission and and we you know we were her kids and she she traveled all the time and 
yeah. you know, because that was her mission and she had all her work and she also was a great mom. But I remember one time I was having like, you know, one of the hardest surgeries I ever had. And I was in a hospital for a long time and there was a little bit of incompetence happening. And my, my mm. mother had to go to, to Japan. And so she, she basically like one day she just was like, it was day 28. And she walked into the Oof. hospital and she said, I'm taking my daughter home. <laughs> and they were wow. like, well, we think she's like, no, I, I have to go to Japan and in a few days <laughs> and I can't leave yeah. her here. I have to make sure she's somewhere where people I know will be taking care of her. And she's leaving today. And, okay. <laughs> she, and you know, I was like, you know, up in traction. You know and that, I was she... so happy to go home. I love my mama. Um <laughs> You're like, yeah, no, it was, get me out of it here. was hard. It was, it was a hard, mm-hmm. it was a hard thing. I had to fight for my life in there, but she, but the day she walked in there, the shock on the people's faces that she was just like, it's time to go. Like, I don't know what y'all yeah. came here to do, but I came here to, to take my daughter home and finish healing her. So you all have had yes. these, this amount of days. I, I kind of think you don't know what else to do. And yeah. she took me, <laughs> took me out and then she got on a plane, like, she left me with cool people, y'all. Just don't don't be mad at Bernice. I mean, I know yeah. that for sure. Cause but she got right on a plane today. three days later, and Sweet Honey <laughs> went to Japan, and, and then that was and that was a wrap, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I do, I really do. I yeah. I've learned a lot of lessons about that too. That sometimes you're in relationship with someone, and they're they're trying to actually keep you from your mission. And it's disguised yes. as love. <laughs> yes. And they're trying to keep you yes. from what you you are here to do. And they yeah. they worry you and, and try to distract you and try to keep you from your mission. And then you feel, you can feel like it will be the worst thing in the world if you actually do your mission. And it's like, you yes. know what I'm talking about? I, I have been in that place, honey. I have been in that place both with people who are trying to keep me from my mission and also... I have been in the place where I became convinced that the person I was loving, like that, that I was supposed to love them to complete their mission. Mm. <laughs> right. I was like, Oh, my work is to make sure you achieve your mission. Yeah. And like lost track of like, wait, I've got my own I? mission. Yeah. You know, I'm supposed to be doing like, it's foggy over yeah. here. But I do feel like it is such a powerful thing when you're able to recognize, like, you know, I feel the, the love in the two of them. Yeah. Where And I feel that in my life now where I'm like, I have a mission. I'm with someone else who has a mission. And our love is like, you know, the bridge house, yeah. right? It's like we are joined, but we are also both developing and rooting and growing things that are bigger than ourselves and bigger than even our lifetimes. Yes. And I actually feel like my community is a bunch of people on missions. Yes. And so we're constantly supporting each other as we see... You know, to me, I'm like, I want to be in a million love ships where we're all supporting each other. Like, yes, yes, yes. Look at all this destiny unfolding. Yes. <laughs> and I think that to me, that's the kind of acorn beyond beyond one place or beyond one location. Mm-hmm. It's like that's the kind of acorn. It's like there's a bunch of people who are seeding destiny in their own lives um, and because of what we fear right you know like to me my destiny is also in response like it's it's it would be a lie for me to say it wasn't fed in any part by fear right right like i i want our species to be here and there's 
a bunch of babies that I love who I want to be here. Yes. And part of my destiny is to make that more possible. Yeah. Um, right now, you know, in this period of apocalypse and in what we're reading, it just makes me think about what it means to love people. Like Thich Nhat Hanh says, how do you love someone so that they feel free? Mm-hmm. And like, what does it mean to love people towards freedom in apocalyptic periods of history? Yeah. Where you, you know, you're like, I can't protect this thing that I love more than anything. I can't protect this person from being brave and being themselves and like growing in ways that serve serve the greater purpose. So <sighs> all of that. Chapter two. Chapter two, y'all. Right. Octavia's Parables is hosted by Toshi Regan and myself, Adrian Marie Brown. We are produced by Kat Aaron. Our show art is by the incredible Krista Franklin. Our music, Always See the Stars, written and performed by Toshi Regan. And God is Changed, written by Toshi Regan, performed by Toshi Regan and Bernice Johnson Regan. Find us on Twitter at Oparables. You can sustain our show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash Oparables. And we will see you next time. That you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. All that you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. All that you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. All that you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. All that you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change.